We Christians can be so different to each other. Hey, just, just have a bit of a look around. We, we come in all different shapes and sizes and come from all sorts of different walks of life and nationalities and all different ages and stages of life. But physical and social differences aside, there's another glaringly obvious difference between different Christians who I've met. Some Christians are always really, really, really keen to tell others about Jesus. And others of us, well, we're sort of a bit more like undercover agents and we have to be almost waterboarded to try and get get it out of us that we actually know Jesus. And today we're going to catch a little glimpse as to why that is. These two verses that we're studying today are a series of statements, each explaining a previous statement. So Paul tells us that he's eager to preach the gospel. Why? Because he's not ashamed of the gospel. But why isn't he ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But why is the gospel the power of God for salvation? Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed. You see the progression? I'm eager to preach the gospel. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Why? Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed. That's the progression. So let's begin with verse 16. Paul is eager to preach the gospel because he's not ashamed of it. Now, some people think that when Paul says that I'm not ashamed of it, um, that that's just his way of saying that he's proud of it. But Paul usually says exactly what he means. And if Paul is saying that he's not ashamed of the gospel, well, that's exactly what he means. He's not ashamed of the gospel. But why would he say that? Why would he say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? I'll tell you why. It's because so many of us are. Many of us are ashamed of the gospel. And here's a few reasons why. Firstly, the gospel is unbelievable. It's incredible. For example, the first statement of the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in our scientific age, you know, who wants to believe that? Who wants to believe in a God? You know, to many, it's absurd to believe that there is a God up there who created all of this out of nothing. And they'd rather believe an even more unbelievable notion that all of this just happened by chance. But then we ask them to believe that God does miracles, that he covered the whole earth with with a flood, that he divided the waters of the Red Sea, that he made the walls of Jericho to tumble down, that he spoke to the prophets through dreams and visions. And then what about Jesus himself and salvation? We expect them to believe that, that God's one and only begotten son was born to a virgin. And we expect them to believe that Jesus grew up and lived a perfect life, that he performed miracles, that he cast out demons, that he healed the sick and he raised the dead. And then after he was crucified on the cross, that he was raised from the dead again. Now, that's just incredible. Who in their right mind would believe this stuff? And we live in a world who look upon what we Christians believe and what the gospel proclaims, and to them it's nothing more than a great big old fairy tale. And you honestly believe that nonsense, we might get told. And so the gospel can be 
so unbelievable. It's so incredible that we find ourselves being ashamed of it. The gospel is foolishness to the world that is perishing. And some of us are so ashamed because we feel that if we own up to it and if we start expressing it and telling others about it, then they will think of us as being foolish and gullible. The second reason that some are ashamed of the gospel is because it's offensive. It's the message that says to the most upright person in our society that without Jesus, you are evil and destined for hell. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried that, but that's a pretty fast way to offend someone. The gospel is the message that tells us that none of us are good enough, not one. It tells us that all of our good deeds that we could possibly do throughout our whole lives are not good enough to make up for one single sin which we have committed. And so the gospel is offensive. The fact that before God a professing atheist philanthropist, someone like like Fred Hollows, for instance, who has done so many good deeds is on equal standing with a rapist or a mass murderer. That thought, that's just utterly offensive. For the gospel tells us that we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God and we all need to repent and follow Jesus to be saved. The gospel is utterly offensive. And some of us are ashamed to offend. The third reason some are ashamed of the gospel is that it's exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that doesn't leave a lot of other options open, does it? The gospel is very exclusive. There is no other way to be saved. All other religions, all other so-called gods are not gods at all. They're demons pretending to be gods, trying to drag us away from the one and only truth. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is exclusive. But our world values the opposite of that. Our world values inclusiveness and tolerance and and our political correctness means that we can never tell anybody else that their way is wrong. And we're ashamed to tell other people, you're on the wrong road because there is only one road. You go on the wrong way. A fourth reason that some may be ashamed of the gospel is because it's often seen as being irrelevant. It's like we're trying to sell a product that nobody really wants. Uh, It's like if you're trying to sell a mechanical adding machine today in a world that is um, filled up with smartphones that do far more than a mechanical adding machine could ever do. We live in a very comfortable society where death is a long way off and the gospel's the last thing that people want to worry about. And to some, to many, it's just totally irrelevant. And even the very best evangelists might share the gospel with 50 or more people and get not one single positive response. And we give up. 
We're ashamed of it because it seems to be irrelevant. It's not what the world are looking for. And so some churches actually change the gospel. If people aren't looking to get right with God, if people aren't feeling this call to to give their lives to the Lord, if submitting to the Lordship of Christ seems irrelevant for them, well, hey, we'll teach you about other stuff. We'll teach them about how to get their finances on track or how to have a more fulfilled marriage or how to have satisfaction in their career. And so we come up with all sorts of programs to cater for people who are not actually wanting to hear the gospel. Some are ashamed of the simple gospel message because they feel it's irrelevant. Fifthly, some are ashamed of the gospel because it's insignificant. Less and less people attend church every year in our society anyway. Christians are well and truly in the minority. We're like the odd ones out. And that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And sometimes we're ashamed of the gospel because it puts us in the minority and it's very easy to be ashamed of something when you're in the minority. When I was a student at Ag College and all my mates were heading off to get drunk for the weekend, I was very much in the minority. And young people, when you get to your your late teens and early 20s, that's when it will really strike home that to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to live by the gospel will put you in the minority. And it's very easy in a situation like that to be ashamed of it. And so it happens that even Christians become ashamed of the gospel. It's unbelievable. It's offensive. It's exclusive. It may seem irrelevant. It may seem insignificant because we're in the minority and we feel ashamed. And my, how easy it is to be ashamed of the gospel. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I suppose, I, yeah, I, I sort of am a Christian. I, I, yeah, I go to church sometimes, yeah. If we were to make an honest assessment, have we been ashamed of the gospel? Have we been ashamed of Jesus? Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world And loses or forfeits his soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Now, to me, that's pretty scary. I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. And you don't want him to be ashamed of you. If we disown Jesus, he disowns us. And so we'd better not be ashamed of Jesus. And Paul wasn't. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And, you know, on many occasions when Paul preached, he was laughed out of town. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. He was arrested. He was thrown in jail. But still, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He just kept going and going and going. Even when he was in jail, he would preach to those in jail. He would sing praises to God and he would pray. 
He wasn't ashamed. But why wasn't he ashamed of it? Because the gospel is the power of God to save. Now, the Greek word there for power is dunamos, the word from which we get our word dynamite, okay? Power. The gospel is dynamite. The gospel is powerful. And this is where we come to the crux of it. If I truly begin to understand the dynamite power of the gospel, I won't be ashamed of it. It's powerful. It's amazing. It's awesome. It is the power of God to save. Mankind can build power stations and racing cars and enormous mining mining equipment of tremendous power. Uh, who was who down the river on Anzac Day? You got a picture there, Roman? Anybody see one of these fly down the river? An FA-18, it flew down our river and then it headed up in the air like that. Did you see that? And hear the noise as it come out. 16.8 tonnes, driven by 100,000 horsepower, capable of a top speed of over 1,900 kilometres per hour. Wow, that is power. Science learned decades ago how to split the atom and how to produce power that we cannot even harness with the fusion of hydrogen atoms in a hydrogen bomb. But mankind can never, ever produce the power that is required for salvation. That's something that only God can do. Man cannot raise the dead. Man cannot, even at this stage, take something that was living and make it live again. We have absolutely no chance of making something that's never lived begin to live. And science would say we just need more technology. But, you know, it's not technology that's lacking. It's power. The power to save. The gospel is the power of God to save. And it won't just save just a few very special people. It won't just save a few people who come from a few Christian homes. It won't just come save a few people who who grew up with a Christian heritage or or who grew up as with a um, Hebrew heritage. The gospel is able to save absolutely everybody. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that can save anyone. There is no people group on this earth who are beyond the power of the gospel to save. Missionaries have taken the gospel right across the globe and nowhere have they found a country or a culture or a village or a family where no one is able to be saved. There is no sinner who is too bad to be saved. There is no one who is so despised or rejected or alone that they are beyond the saving power of God. Who's happy about that? Yeah, I'm happy about that. This is wonderful. No one, not one single person in this whole wide world is that far gone that they can't be saved. But sadly, not everybody will be saved. The gospel has the power to save everyone, but not everyone will be saved. 
Only those who believe will be saved. Only those who submit themselves to Jesus as their Lord and believe will be saved. Why? Most other religions teach that that we earn our way to salvation. Why Why can't I earn my way to salvation? Simple reason, that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. See, if I could earn my way to salvation, that would not reveal the righteousness of God. If my being good meant that I could be good enough to get to heaven, that would reveal self-righteousness, not the righteousness of God. And when does self-righteousness look good? Never. Self-righteousness is ugly, yeah? Why is self-righteousness ugly? Because ultimately it's false. If I try and present to you a picture of a self-righteous Michael, it's a lie. If any of you are under any illusion that Michael Brumpton is a pretty righteous sort of a character, well... You just have a word with Robin after the service and I can pretty much assure you that she'll very quickly strip away any illusion of self-righteousness that I've been able to muster up. True, Robin? She's giggling away there. You see, self-righteousness is ugly because it's false. It's hypocritical and it's self-glorifying. But the righteousness of God Well, that's a different kettle of fish altogether. It's real, it's true, and it glorifies the only one who should be glorified. Glorifies God. Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, the righteousness of God is being uncovered. It's being revealed. It's being shown to the world. The righteousness of God has been revealed once and for all at the cross on which Jesus died. But every time the good news of the gospel is preached, the righteousness of God is being revealed over and over and over again. It is a righteousness that comes from faith for faith. In fact, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to fully explain this in one sermon. Uh, Paul took the whole book of Romans to explain it, and we'll be in it for the next few months. So we've got the next few months for me to continue explaining fully what this righteousness of God is all about and what it means for the righteous to live by faith. But for now... Here's a little, a little glimpse of it. Verse 17 says, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, to Paul, faith means to believe in and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. That means we come to the realisation that Jesus is Lord. He is God. He is Master. He is Ruler. I am but a slave before my Lord. And part of this realisation that Jesus is Lord is, uh uh-oh, in the past... I've tried to live my own way. 
in the past, I've taken Jesus off the throne and I've put myself on the throne. And I've tried to achieve my own righteousness and I've failed in that. My self-righteousness did not achieve glory. It was ugly. It was false. And it reveals to us the hypocrites that we really are. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, believe in me as your saviour. In the righteousness of God, at the cross, our Lord became our saviour. If I was walking along the riverbank and I saw somebody out in the river drowning and I had the ability to save them, would I be righteous if I didn't save them? No. Of course not. Saving that person would be a righteous act. And the Lord our God had the ability to save us. We cannot save ourselves. But the Lord our God could save us. The only way it could be done was with the crucifixion of his son. It cost him a lot to save us. And because Jesus Christ has saved us, he has demonstrated his righteousness. You see this? The righteousness of God is revealed. He did the absolutely right thing. Even though it cost him enormously to save us, he did save us. And he has proven to be righteous. And it's totally his doing. We're saved by faith, for faith, to live by faith. Now, whereabouts in there is the doing? Uh, we're saved by doing? No, we're saved by faith. We're saved for doing? No, we're saved for faith. We're saved to do? No, we're saved to live in and by faith. All right, he has done the work. So when we believe in him and trust in him, as we repent of our sin and as we repent of our self-righteousness, he forgives us. He washes us. He cleanses us. He takes away all of our unrighteousness, everything that we hate about ourselves. Maybe even some things that we used to like about ourselves, but then we realise, actually, that's pretty ugly, really. He takes it all away. He makes us clean and pure and holy, and he gives to us the righteousness of God. So God proves himself to be righteous by saving us. But by saving us, he also makes us righteous. So we see the righteousness of God at the cross. And we see the righteousness of God at work in the believer, in those who are saved. Now, I hope that's enough of a brief explanation Uh, But over the next few months, we're going to learn more and more about the righteousness of God. So 
I guess the encouragement I want to have to you today is to be eager to preach the gospel. What a horrible word, that preach. We sort of think of preaching as, oh, and beating people over the head with the Bible. That just means to share Jesus. You know, St. Francis of Assisi is wrongly quoted as having said, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Has anyone ever heard that quote? It's actually quite a common quote. We hear it often, and he never said it. Anyway, that quote, it can be used in a good way to suggest that Christians talk about the gospel too much and live out the gospel too little. That's how it can be used in a good way. But most often when I've heard it quoted, it's been used as an excuse for not sharing the message of the gospel. It's that says, people will know that I'm a Christian by the way I live my life. You know what that's saying? Look at me. I'm such a good Christian, I don't even need to preach the gospel. People will just look at me and know that God saves them. Hey. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we must not be ashamed of the gospel. We should be eager to preach the gospel. Why? Because we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Why? Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed. From faith, for faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when I... When I read that scripture, I am reminded that I have been like Peter. Peter who, on the night that you were betrayed, said, I'll never deny you, Lord. No matter what happens, I will never deny you. Everybody else will fall away, but I won't. But before that night was over, he said, no, I don't know him. No, no, I'm not one of his followers. I tell you, I don't know him. And Lord, we professed you that we will follow you. We professed you that we will share your name. We professed to you that we'll never back down. But we have over and over and over again. But Lord, I want to thank you also for your forgiveness and your mercy. Because I remember when you later met Peter at the beach after you'd been raised from the dead. And you restored Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Well, I love you like a friend. Do you love me, Peter? Well, I love you like a friend. Do you love me like a friend, Peter? I love you like a friend, Jesus. And Lord, I'm also reminded on the day when the Holy Spirit came upon that early church that this Peter, who was so, so afraid before men, got up before thousands of people and proclaimed the gospel. So, Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit like you filled Peter with the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would not be ashamed, but, Lord, that we would be confident in the power of God to save, that we would 
take every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, the good news of salvation. Oh, we have this most powerful, most wonderful truth to share. This thing which saves. And it will save anyone who believes in you. But lots of people aren't given that opportunity because we haven't shared it. Lord, I pray that you would give us a holy boldness, that you would give us a confidence in the power of your word, in the power of the gospel, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the gospel itself. And Lord, I pray that we would see the righteousness of God being revealed, knowing that every time that somebody else turns to you and believes in you, that we see the righteousness of God at work yet again. Lord, we pray for our community. And Lord, I pray for everybody here. Lord, if there is someone here who does not believe, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would give them the gift of belief and that they would begin to trust in you. They would be able to say, Jesus, I know you are Lord and now you are my Lord. Please be my saviour. Lord, may the righteousness of God be revealed even here today in Jesus' name. Amen.